Welcome to the Border Collie Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Martina, obsessed like you about Border Collies and dog training. Follow me to know more about this amazing breed and to learn from many inspiring dog professionals on how to make your training journey a success. Hello, Border Collie Geeks. Um, welcome to the new episode of the podcast and let me introduce you briefly because she's going to make the big introduction um, today's guest. Um, she's a dog trainer, an author of two successful books, Hunting Together and Rocket Recall. Welcome, Simone. Hi, Martina. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's an honor, really. I'm a fan. <laughs> Thank <laughs> so. you very much for having me. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, so you, you know, you are, you have a super niche. So I'm a border collie trainer, but you have a niche that goes even more deeper than just, you know, being a trainer of a specific breed because you go down specifically in one problem that my breed, the border collie, but in general, all dogs um, really struggle with. That is what creates a dog, which is their prey drive. Exactly. Yeah, this is uh, what I specialize in. Exactly. Amazing. So uh, before we start talking about this, um, if you'd like to introduce yourself a bit better and just talk a bit about your dogs, um, tell us which dogs you have now or even what you want the dogs you had in the past. Anyone you want to talk about so that we get to know you a bit better. Sure. Thank you. Um, well, uh, my name is Simone and uh, I live in Germany, so I'm a, a dog trainer from Germany and I specialize, as you already said, in predation substitute training, which is uh, a force free way to uh, deal with a dog's prey drive. And as you said before, prey drive is something that uh, is very important to our dogs. All dogs have some form of prey drive it's in their nature. So yeah, it's, it's a niche <laughs> to, to say that. And um, I live with two dogs at the moment, um, Nanook and Ayla. They are both um, Australian Shepherds from a working line. We already said in the beginning that they looked a little bit like Border Collies. A lot of people think that I have Border Collies, but actually it's um, a very, yeah, um, a working line of Australian Shepherds. Um, Nanook is now, 12 years old and Ayla is three years old and um, yeah basically what we do is um, anti-predation training every day when we're out and about but I also love to do some scent work with them and um, yeah just living with them so I don't have a special hobby with my dogs we don't do any fancy stuff and my dogs are not the best trained dogs in the world the most well behaved to be honest but um, to me, it's important that we can go out and we can have fun and uh, it's we have a good time when we're out and about. Yeah. And it all started with uh, my first dog, Malinka. She uh, came to me in 2002 and um, unfortunately she died in 2018. And she was the one that started the whole thing um, because of her I wanted to be a, a dog trainer because I learned so much as a dog owner already. And I said, well, that's not enough. I need to get deeper into the topic. And uh, so I did my dog trainer education in Switzerland. And then I, yeah, I didn't, I still didn't quite know how to deal with her prey drive. And this, during this dog trainer education, it was that I came across um, the anti-predation trainings. And uh, yeah, this is uh, where I, yeah. 
got the hang of it. <laughs> Good. And you said something very interesting because every time um, someone gets aboard a colleague, um, they all say, oh, you need you need to give them a job. You need to give them a job. And, you know, people feel the big pressure of, you know, the only way to have a control dog is actually doing millions of activities. But and I'm the first that says to my clients, you, you need to try and find something to do together. But you don't have to, as you said, you know, I don't you don't do fancy stuff, but you can still have a dog that is happy and fulfilled with, you know, living the life with them and making sure that they have everything. And we're not going to talk about that, of course. But it's, it was interesting that you said, because I think that people feel the pressure sometimes of doing a lot of stuff with their dog and a lot of agility and fly ball and, and all that, which is important. And I think, you know, it's, it's great to do with them, but it's not always the case. Yeah, yeah, that's important to know. Um, with Malinka, it was the same. She was also high drive. She was a mix of Australian Shepherd and something we, we don't know. Um, but she was really um, a very energetic dog. And when she was about two years old, she really went crazy. So I couldn't walk in a, in a woodland or um, in a field without her going mad about all the wildlife. And this is when I um, saw some trainers and everybody told me, you have to do more, you have to do agility, you have to do obedience training, uh, you have to do this and this and this with your dog. And um, in the end, we had a schedule of um, Tuesday agility, Saturday, the whole day in the dog's club with obedience and agility. And yeah, my dog became worse and worse. The behavior became worse. And then for the first time, um, it was in... In 2004, I think there weren't so many force-free trainers around, but the first time I saw someone who was dealing with um, prey drive in a force-free way, and she told me, do not do anything with your dog for about four weeks and just check what happens. And I was like, I can't do that. She will go totally crazy. If I don't do anything with her for four weeks, she will, yeah, she will go nuts. And then she said, okay, just do it, give it a try. And then I tried it and um, yeah, I have to say <laughs> it improved massively. Um, doing nothing doesn't mean that we don't go on walks. It means you slow down, you go on walks, but you don't um, do agility or I'm not against agility in general, but for this particular dog at this particular time, it was too much. And uh, yeah, you could see a massive improvement when we gave her that break. Yeah, we talked about this a bit in with another guest that is a friend of mine that specializes in, you know, behavior and border collies and scent work. And yeah, you know, we talked about similar things, the fact that for some dogs, that's too much sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, we, we the more we do, the more hyper they get, the more expectation they have, the more they need, but then it's not a healthy need sometimes. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. And you mentioned you do scent work as well with your dogs now? Yes. Um, so every now and then we um, do scent detection or you can just simply hide some things, some treats, some, a ball, for example, instead of throwing a ball, you can hide the ball for your dog. And uh, yeah, or just the, the, the very, very simple way of taking a handful of kibble, throw it into a meadow, enjoy, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that takes a lot of pressure so, of you as well. Um, today, yeah. I did train the young dogs. And my older that is 11 and a half, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to actually ask him to perform today. I'm just going to hide 
food around the garden. Yeah. And that's it. And, you know, he's so happy after it, that nice scavenging activity. Um, He's so happy about it. So he doesn't put any pressure on the dog sometimes to actually perform a task for us in order to have a treat. It's just there. Have it. (laughs) It's free. And it takes a lot of pressure off the owner as well. You don't have to do a real schedule. You don't have to do something particular every single day. Just live your life with your dog. Give them a nice outlet, a natural outlet that comes naturally. Um, It doesn't have to be crazy play. Yeah, just be with your dog. I agree. I do. I give my students, my online students, my face-to-face students, a um, training schedule. And there's only five days on it. And they're like, why five and not seven? Because I want two days to be for you relaxing and joining your dog, at least two days. Um, if you can get five days of training in, that's great. But, you know, don't put your, too much pressure on yourself. And they're like, oh, you're right. And they're like, when I tell them, they go like, ooh, we have two days off. <laughs> like, yeah. <'cause... laughs> nice. Like in nice. school, yeah, two days off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, so great. Let's start talking about your niche then. Let's start talking about what is uh, predation substitute training and how did you decide to specialize and how how did you get to learn how to create that amazing program? Well, yeah, um, I have to be honest, I didn't create this. <laughs> I, uh, people always tell me, how did you come up with it? And I was, oh my God, I didn't come up with it. Um, I just translated it. I'm, I'm the messenger here. And uh, there are some amazing trainers in Germany who came up with, these, uh, with this program um, after uh, shock colors were banned in Germany. So about 10 years ago, um, shock colors were explicitly banned. Um, they were they are also named in the in the text of the law and uh, now prong collars are also banned explicitly and uh, so trainers had to come come up with other ideas to keep their dogs from hunting because we live in in a country with massive um, wildlife we have one of the highest wildlife densities in whole europe so our dogs um yeah (laughs) we have to find a way to keep them um from hunting wildlife and uh Yeah, so this is where this all comes from. And uh, I was in Scotland in 2008 to, uh, sorry, 2018 to work with Claire Staines from the Florian Dog Services. And I learned there so much. It was my my practice um, that I did after my dog trainer education. And um, yeah, one day we just talked and we said, um, or Claire said to me, you know, we have something for every problem. Before three trainers have, some solution for every problem behavior of our dogs, except for predation. And by that time, I didn't even know what the, the word predation means in English. So I asked, what is predation? <laughs> and she's like, hunting behavior. And I said, oh yeah, hmm, it's just strange. Don't you like the protocols? And she was like, which protocols? And then we talked and we found out that uh, nobody has yet translated the protocols into English. So I thought to myself, okay, this might be something worth doing. Because everywhere around the world, people have the problem with prey drive. Yeah. So what is the protocol then? Is it something that was already is something that you had in Germany? We had it in Germany. We have uh, different protocols. So they all are have the same basis. But um, 
um, each trainer develops it a little bit differently. And I also took my development on it and I structured it a little bit in a new way. And uh, basically it, uh, uh, it's four parts that um, predation substitute training or force-free anti-predation uh, training consists of. These four parts are the, the, the most important part is that you do some management and so some prevention exercises that keep your dog from hunting in the first place. So for example, you teach them to stay on a, on a path. You teach them to stop at transitions. For example, when um, the path ends and woodland begins, so they stop and do not cross these transitions. Or for example, they stay at a certain parameter around you. They don't go further than this parameter. And um, <clears throat> these exercises, um, are aimed to keep your dog from stumbling across wildlife accidentally. So it's a big part of the solution. And then the second part is that you have some tools in place that you use when you come across wildlife. So for example, there is the occasional rabbit or deer crossing the path. And then we have some tools that we use that our dogs stop instead of running off. So instead of chasing the deer, they stand and they watch it at least for some time. Not all dogs can do this forever because it like takes up too much or a lot of impulse control, um, but at least it gives you some time to put the leash on your dog. So instead of going off, they stand, you can approach them, you can put the leash on and then you can do something else with them. And then the third part um, is giving your dog an outlet for all this predatory energy that they have, because if they are not allowed to hunt in real life, you have to deal with this prey drive in another way. So you have to give them an outlet. And um, yeah, there we have some games for all the parts of the predatory sequence that our dogs still want to perform. For example, chasing or watching or um, ripping things apart, killing things <laughs> um, in a metaphorical way. And um, yeah, and the fourth part that is also very, very, very important is um, that you can interrupt predatory behavior when it happens. So for example, by a super, uh, super well-established recall or by stopping the dog from a distance or implementing a U-turn that they turn away from the trigger and come away with you. Yeah, and these four parts are all equally important and you have to work on all four of them and it sounds a little bit stressful <laughs> yeah um, and in the beginning it's quite overwhelming and um, yeah a lot of people come into my training and say okay today we train um, that my dog does not hunt anymore and I'm like mm. oh yeah but we will not be able to do this in one lesson <laughs> so it's a whole program that people have to go through with their dogs and it's a it's a chore it's something that you have to repeat and do, um, yeah, you have to put a lot of work into it, but then there are amazing results. Yeah. So, yeah. So listening to you to while you're explaining all the four parts. So the first part for me, what I would call management. So making sure that you have a plan in place so that things don't happen. Yeah. Um, the second part, and, and that's something I definitely, you know, talk through with my students. The second part, although probably not as much in detail as you describe, like staying on the path and everything. So that's very interesting. Um, the second part would be um, the one where that I probably um, have not worked. That is 
teaching them to actually do alternative things like stalking and, 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 and et cetera. It's something that I've tried with a couple of clients, for example, reading your mm -hmm. books and watching your, um, your webinars, but it's something that I personally as a trainer lack in um, teaching my own dogs. Um, I can t tell my dogs to lie down, for example, easily, but mm -hmm. I've, not, um, I've not developed that stalking and creeping game that you play, which is amazing. I've seen the video and everything. And then the interruption, having a good recall, I suppose, making sure that you can, you know, gain the dog attention and then giving dog substitute um, activities like play or reaping and you say, so coming and chasing a toy, I suppose, and things like that. So um, let's not go into detail of everything, because I think that this you're going to stay here for hours and, you know, there's your books and maybe one day we'll invite you elsewhere. I'd like to invite you to do some training here, although you say <laughs> it doesn't take one day, but it would be nice to, you know, to um, develop a bit more all the program. Um, but um, so can you explain a bit more the part where you actually teach and allow the dogs that stalking and creeping is OK and, and becomes part of the game? Because I find that very, very, you know, different way of dealing with it, because what you would do over here, if you walk through a field of sheep, for example, which is the main issue we have in the UK, sheep everywhere and footpath through fields of sheep everywhere. Um, one of the main issues we have in the country, and I've just done an episode on it a bit, um, is dogs chasing sheep more than chasing wildlife, um, because probably we have less wildlife than in Germany, uh, but we have a lot of um, footpaths through fields of sheep. Um, so how do you get to, how, how do you teach the dog that, what, you know, how does it work? What, what is the dog gaining from that stalking and creeping part without the chasing? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I always get this question from people from the UK with the <laughs> sheep. Um, in Germany, we don't have many. We have sheep, but they are mainly behind the fence and you can't walk through um, a gate where the sheep are there. Um, yeah, this is typical, but I think it works pretty well with sheep as well. And um, before I go into detail, I want to stress one thing out. You should always, always, always in such a situation have a leash on your dog. Even if your dog has a super recall and even if he's off leash 90% of the time, as soon as you enter a, a field where there are animals and you know that, please put your dog on a line, on a long line or on a, a short line. I think here I would, I would choose the short line anytime. Um, because it's so important that um, we deal with live animals here, not only our dogs, but we need to make sure that the other animal is also safe. And um, yeah, I can't stress this strongly enough, strong enough that, uh, yeah. that the, the, the leash should be on here. And yeah, okay, so what happens when you... When you have a look at um, predatory behavior, there is this predatory motor pattern that our dogs go through. Um, it's first that our dogs um, orient in the environment. So is there something to hunt or to, to hump <laughs> or to make friends with? So they are always um, checking the environment for, for potential prey, for potential social partners, for interesting things. And uh, the moment they realize that there is something to hunt, um, they go into a freeze 
um, response. So they stop and they, they, they start to watch. And um, there comes the next part of the predatory motor pattern, the, the stalk. So they start to stalk the other animal. They, they watch it intensely. You can see this in, in border calls. You can see this massively when the body goes all arrow shaped and all tenses up and everything is pointing forward to this trigger, to this animal. And what happens next is that they go into a creep. They try to bridge the gap between themselves and the wild animal um, as much as they can because um, they are fast, but some prey animals are even faster. So they try to get there as close as they can before the other animal realizes that they are even there. And when they think, okay, now I'm close enough or the other animal spotted them, then the chase begins. And this is the moment when the owners realize, oh gosh, my dog is hunting. What am I going to do now? But there has happened so much before that, that dog owners don't even realize um, where they would still have time to get a foot on in the, into the door and stop their dog from, from going into that chase. Um, we have to educate people to, to see these little things that happened before the chase. Yeah, and then when the when the dog is finally um, or is successful, <laughs> yeah, we can say that, that uh, the dog is successful and he gets to the wild animal. He grabs and he uh, he shakes and he kills the animal and then he holds on to the animal a little longer, and then finally they start to dissect and eat. Um, and we can say or we can see that. Each part, each individual part of these uh, predatory motor pattern feels intrinsically good. So these happy hormones like dopamine and adrenaline and uh, yeah, it's mainly dopamine, they are released into the dog's body even before the chase happens. And this is our little tool that we use. So we can teach our dog that it feels super good to stand and watch instead of really chase the animal. It's the alternative behavior. We do not need to interrupt um, the predation from happening um, at all. So we don't need to call our dogs away so they don't have to turn around and leave everything behind that they wanted to do, which is, uh, yeah, it's so annoying for our dogs. Oh, I, I, I want to to do this here, but I have to turn away from it. And uh, we do not make it so hard for our dogs. We can give them these little parts that are safe like standing and staring or creeping forward. A border collies love to creep, it's in their genes. It's it has been highlighted by us humans massively. So we can use that here as well. Yeah, and by giving them these um, allowed things, these safe parts of the predatory sequence, um, we, can, we can get a foot into the door and we can prevent the chase from happening. Yeah, yeah, it's um I I have to say I've not I've not tried that yet with my dogs but yeah, I keep meaning to. Although I have I have dogs, I have dogs, I have to say they don't they don't go around chasing too much. We don't have too much happening, but when we go on holiday um to Scotland or Wales, we definitely have to walk through field of sheep and my dogs are all trained to work with sheep anyway. Um so I know I can stop them and that's probably why I've never really but I think next time I'm going on holiday I'll definitely going to work on it. Especially with my young one that has not done massive training with sheep. Um and teach him that yeah, teach him that he can, you know, he can still enjoy just just 
having a little look and, and stay there and looking instead of um, of trying to chase. He would have worked really well with my old boy that is here somewhere with me in the room. Um, he was a proper chaser and um, I had to stop tracing, training sheep with him because he would bite at the end, which is not, shouldn't be a typical border collie behavior, but he would bite at the end of the of the chase. So um, yeah, if I've known you a few years ago, and he's 11 and a half now, um, that would have been very useful with him. So um, good. So the, the first time I contacted you and directly is because I've asked you if this method, especially this part of the of the of, of your program of the um, um, predation substitute training can be applied also to non-animals because the main issue I have with my students is um, they the collies they, their, their their dogs wants to chase um, joggers bikes cars um, of course some wild wildlife so sheep can be a problem and a lot of them actually have a problem with birds which is a question I wanted to ask you as well how to deal this with birds um, and I, I remember your answer about cars and bikes, but I would like you to explain it. And then if you would like to talk a bit about birds as well, how do you apply this to birds? Because deers and sheep are quite similar, but birds are a bit different. That's true. Yeah. And uh, I have a lot of uh, setters, for example, in training that love to chase birds. Um, yeah. First of all, I would not recommend to apply this kind of training for um, people and for cars. Um, for people, it has the special reason that predation is uh, something that we have to be a little bit careful about if something goes wrong in training. And we are all just humans and we deal with live animals, with the dogs, and we know that sometimes in training things go wrong. And uh, what you need to know about predation is that it is an, a distance in a decreasing behavior. So the dog wants to get closer to, um, to the trigger. Uh, when we have a look at aggression, for example, um, most of the aggression come, or the, the reactivity, let's call it reactivity, come from fear-related behavior or fear emotions in the dog. So the dog wants to get more space. They want to to, to increase distance between themselves and the trigger. Here, it's just the opposite. The dog wants to come closer. And this is also dangerous because when we have a dog and for example, kids, um, little children running around and our dog stalks and he goes into the predatory motor pattern, he wants to get closer and we don't know what is happening now. Um, so in the end, it could happen that the dog grabs the children. And uh, this is something that is called um, predatory drift where um, the dog mistakes, um, for example, children or other dogs as prey. And it's very, very dangerous. So accidents happen here all the time. So um, we have to make sure that the dogs do not do the stalking behavior with other dogs and with kids. And I don't allow it on people in general, um, but the kids and other dogs, smaller dogs are a real no-go. Yeah, um, here I would advise to have a look, for example, at um, bad training, behavior adjustment training from Krisha Stewart or at um, um, uh, control unleashed. There are nice games to deal with reactivity. Um, yeah, and keep that anti-predation training for wildlife. <laughs> and yeah. now the, the birds, they are something where I sometimes even allow my dog to go into the chase. Um, maybe you have seen on social media, I have a little video from my dog Isla. She loves to chase birds. Uh, the, the, the large one, the crow, crow, 
is it crows in English? Um, yeah, crow. Yeah, crows. Yeah, the black ones, the large ones, and she also likes the little tiny ones that go chip, 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 chip. It makes her really crazy. And what she does is, um, she goes into, uh, she freezes and she stares at them, and then I ask her to creep forward, and she can do that perfectly. And then she creeps and creeps and creeps and tries to get as close as to the birds as she can. And I have a video with her on the beach where is nobody and no cars and nothing around. And I know the little birds are really really swift, so they will get away with it. Um, and then when she's very close, I tell her go and get it. And then she runs and she flashes the birds. And after the birds are gone, she comes back um, because she has a very good recall. And uh, I can see that happy smile on her face. Um, yeah, she, she's really laughing and she's saying, so, wow, that was so cool. Have you seen that? And by giving her this outlet from time to time, I know that she has, it's like a battery that re she recharges for times when she cannot have this final chase this final flush when we need to abort the mission after after the stare after the stalk or even after the creep and come back um, so from time to time um, if you really can make sure that your dog is safe there are no cars around no people around um, no other animals around and that the birds are also yeah obviously healthy and not yeah they're very old and very fragile then you can have them flush from time to time yeah so the, yeah uh, i agree i do i do use similar you know using primac principle on yeah. on issues like on on dogs that um, wants to um, chase squirrels for example yeah that's quite easy because by the time you actually um you know by the time you recall the dog back or stop the dog and send the dog back the, the squirrel is gone probably so they Hopefully, think they're yes. actually chasing yeah. the squirrel but the squirrel yeah. by the time that we I, actually I done one... something yeah. I had one occasion with Nanook. It really happened. Um, oh, no. I, I sent him for a squirrel and the, the poor squirrel went up the tree and he missed one branch and fell off in front of Nanook's feet. And I, I can still hear this little squeak that this animal made. Is what It was like, Wack! And, she, and he fell down. And uh, Nanook was so uh, shocked by this creature landing in front of his feet that he didn't yeah. do anything. He was just standing there and watching me. And he looked around and was like, what is that? And um, yeah, now I'm really careful with the squirrels <laughs> because yeah. they are just, they're just humans. <laughs> like as humans, they can miss a branch, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had similar experiences with moss trying to chase a pheasant or trying to chase a rabbit. And then for some reason, he found himself in a corner with the pheasant in front oh. of him. And he actually doesn't like feathers. Uh -huh. So by the time he tried to actually mouth the pheasant, he realized that he was covered in feathers and he went, oh, I don't oh. really like this anymore. <laughs> wow. um, that was quite funny. Yeah, but yeah, but um, going back to, yeah, it, it's important that sometimes we allow them to do it. Of course, we don't allow them to do it with cars or we don't allow them to do it with bikes and everything. But when we can allow them to do it, then, you know, giving that kind of under control, but still safe, let's say not under control, safe, but that idea of, okay, you can now do and perform the chase yeah. as a as yeah. a kind of like as a kind of reward for actually stopping and and performing the, the initial part of the behavior that is the one that you practice more exactly. anyway yeah. yeah yeah and it's I, I i would like to add um that it's important to to do this together with your dog so you don't just let them chase 
and you say, okay, today you can chase or something like this. But no, you you do these parts before that together with them. You give them the cues. You say, okay, now let's stalk. And then you have them stalk for a while and you praise them and say, wow, that was a cool stalk. Now you can creep. And if the dog can creep forward, then you go with them. You, you tell them, wow, that's a nice creep. You're doing so well. Oh, this is nice. And now you can chase. Um, so you don't do, let them, you know, you don't let them do this alone. Um, you do it together with them. And by doing this together with them, um, they will connect these um, feelings, these emotions that they have, the excitement and uh, the dopamine flash in their body, they will uh, connect it with you. And in the future, when you have a critical situation, they will uh, come back to you and they will ask you what to do now because you are now a hunting partner and not just some, uh, yeah, somebody at the end of the leash. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, with Border Collies, that's what they do. They do work as a team. Exactly. So making that, and I remember I did something similar without knowing that it was a thing, but I did something similar with Moss with pigeons because I come from Milan. We have a lot of pigeons in parks that, you know, just, just eat around the parks and um, he wanted to chase them. So he was training with sheep as well. So I mainly use the pigeon as sheep. So I would ask him to walk on, I would ask him to stand. And then when he was safe, I would tell him, okay, go. And he would go and chase them. But I remember that after a while, he started looking back at me and say, okay, when are you telling me to go? Um, so yeah, the same, the yeah. same thing that he was safe because we were in a park and I was actually using to teach him directionals and, <laughs> and walk on commands. Um, but yeah, he, he, that, that, that made us, made it a, a teamwork to the point that everywhere now, every, every, every bird is called pigeon for moss now, <laughs> even the seagulls in the, at the, at the beach, um, he would stalk the seagull and then look back at me, let's say, come on, come on, let's play the game. Yeah. And uh, that's what border collies are. They want you to actually be, be the one directing them. So if you can get that game in, I can see where yeah. actually can be very, very it's powerful. It's easier with border collies because they are team players, but you can do this to at least to some extent with every dog, even the dogs that are said to be, oh, independent, stubborn, not working with humans. No, they aren't. You just have to find the right thing for them, the right hobby. Uh, for example, uh, for example, protect herd protection breeds, they they love to watch, just sit there and watch. So you do this together with them. You sit next to them, you join in and, and calmly talk to them while they watch and um, yeah, they, they accept it and they want to do it together with you then. So you have to find the right um, thing, the right hobby for your dog. And then every dog can learn to do this together with you. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one more thing that I wanted to have a quick chat about, because we, you know, the podcast is very new. We've not had, I not had a chance to discuss, uh, you know, all the things that we do in dog training to help dogs with, you know, all the different problems. But, um, you know, we talk about alternative outlets for dogs that cannot go and chase wildlife and sheep. So we need to, pr to, to, to provide them with alternative outlets. So what kind of alternative outlets do you, do you use with your students and with your dogs? Oh, there are games for for all the the, the, the parts of the predatory sequence. So, for example, for dogs that love to stalk, um, there is a, a game called the stalking game, or some people call it the mouse game, um, where you teach them to stand and watch um, a moving object only with their eyes, without moving the feet, just 
watching. Um, oh, I have a, I have this as a freebie on my website. Um, for example, oh, you can put it in the link down below yep, and then definitely can have a look it. at it. Yeah, it's with a video and um, a description of how to train. It's quite simple actually, but it's very effective to teach dogs impulse control. And this is the kind of impulse control that comes from within. Um, if you tell your dog, sit and stay, then it's not teaching impulse control, it's giving a command. Um, impulse control comes from intrinsic motivation that the dog wants to stand there and he wants to, to hold himself back. And this can be taught um, very nicely with this, um, with this mouse game or this um, stalking game. Or for example, um, dogs that love to, um, to, to chase and love to, yeah. They, we have a, a game called backtracking where the dog um, runs back on his own path um, looking for a, a toy on the ground. Or for example, you can do all kinds of scent work, trailing, scent detection, um, you name it. You can also do a little bit of tuck and um, a flirt pole, but here you need to have an eye on the level of arousal. Arousal in general is nothing, nothing bad. I want my dogs to, to, to be excited from time to time because life is, it's about excitement. So I don't want to have a life for myself where everything is just calm and boring. I always want to be excited from time to time, but you have to make sure that you have a cool down at the end so that they do not go crazy. Um, I do not do a lot of ball throwing. I think you talked about this with your, yeah. <laughs> with your yeah. clients all the time. Um, but what they're I all love... banned from using yeah, a ball. Exactly. <laughs> all of them. That's the first homework I give to all my clients when they come yeah. working with me. <laughs> Don't throw the ball, at least not um, repeatedly and over and over again. One time yeah. is fine, but um, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I'll do an episode thing... on that, a specific one on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's important and it's needed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, what you should not forget about is uh, a kind of cool down towards the end of the predatory uh, motor pattern where the dogs, um, after the kill, um, the dogs start to dissect and eat prey. And this is where calming hormones are released. So instead of um, the dopamine, we now have endorphins, the, the happy hormones. Um, we have oxytocin and uh, things that calm the body down again. So um, we can um, mimic this and to calm our dogs down as well or give them a kind of relaxation at the end of the day when they had a stressful day or they need to stay alone for a couple of hours, um, give them something to do that is rather um, tiring them through calmness, not tiring them out physically. For example, you can pack a box, uh, a carton box, you put in some treats and some, some paper, and then you just let them rip this apart. Afterwards, you have to clean up the mess, but your dog is so happy, so relaxed, so calm afterwards, and not in a crazy sense, but in, in a calm way. Yeah, same with, um, yeah, treat searches. For example, take a handful of kibble, throw it into the meadow, into the grass, let them scavenge head down, lowering their um, their stress levels and um, slow down and let them just scavenge. Yeah, yeah, I know that you do the the, the, the treat tree. How do you? Do oh, the tree tree. Yeah, that's a yeah, nice one. Tree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do it with some of my of my um, students, colleagues as well. Um, I find that one of the big problem I have with, I would say at least 50% of the dogs that come to me is the lack of motivation for food when out and about. So when there's ah. movement present, um, they, 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 yeah, 
the, a lot of the struggle that we have to work on the first couple of weeks, two, three weeks is to actually have a dog taking food out and about because their level of excitement, as you just said now, is is too high. So yeah. they, they're ready for the chase. They have ready for cortisol, they're ready for adrenaline. So that, of course, I think inhibits the, the digestion yes. as well. So we have to work on the, you know, to try to, to reverse that. So um, yeah. a lot of scatter feeding and a lot of hunting, a lot of scavenging and a lot of feeding on the floor, even for the easiest exercises. Um, we have to do a lot of that to start with. I banned them from feeding their dogs from their hands mm -hmm. because the dog had enough of the order, tried to force them food down <laughs> their yeah. mouth when they don't really want it. So um, teaching them to hunt food actually is, um, yeah, it's a great game for those yeah. type of dog with those problems definitely yeah i hear that um all the time my dog is not interested in treats when we're out he, he doesn't eat and uh, yeah that's um, not that your dog is not interested he can't eat physically yeah. his uh yeah yeah he's not in 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 the in the mode for 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 swallowing food so um uh taking food outside or taking food is a behavior that dogs have to learn yeah. yeah, just as you said that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so if people want to learn more, I want to learn more about all the mm -hmm. protocol you talked about in a way that there's always to learn. And um, so, yeah, so I've watched your webinars, I've read your books, but I might have to invite you eventually to do some face-to-face -face training. But if people yeah, want to nice. learn, yeah, uh, want to learn more about this method, how can they... Um, can they go to apart from you know, I'm going to put the videos the links for your website um, so that they can see all of it but what what do you have available um, yeah for everyone so I've been busy <laughs> the last couple of months <laughs> um, yeah so the first starting point would always be the books because there you have all the descriptions of the exercises of the games and uh, how to how to do them and how to do or, or what to do when it goes wrong and all the stuff and I think this is the yeah the basic and then um, I have a couple of webinars out there, for example, with uh, Grisha Stewart or with Canine Principles or with Florian Dog Services. And um, the, the latest thing that I uh, do together with a colleague is we have two courses, live courses and um, courses that are um, yeah, very individual. So everybody gets his own feedback. And uh, there is one for owners, which uh, just started, and one for instructors, which will come up in uh, November this year. Oh, and of course, we are going to repeat the owner course as well. The owner course is about four weeks long. So we meet each week and we have assignments and a Facebook group and people can um, post their own videos and then we give feedback, individual feedback. And the instructor course will even be longer. It will be about 10 weeks, I think. Yeah, and uh, it will cover all the things that you need to know when you work as a professional with predation. So um, yeah, it will be really, really detailed. And yeah, I hope- I'm, I'm going to be on that then. 
<laughs> You'll have I to let me know how I can, how I can sign yeah. up. <laughs> Yeah, and of definitely. course, I also do um, workshops mainly here in Germany. But yeah, um, yeah it, it was due to COVID. So once this is over, yeah, I can also travel again. Or you know, we, we, we can now all travel again. Yeah. And the workshops are um, one day or two days, just as you want to. And they give you a nice overview what you can do with your dog. We start training all the important tools so that you can go on on your own when you're at home then. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that would be something I think that the UK needs. I tried in my little um, business to run a couple of workshops managing dogs around livestock um, using my own method mainly. So I, I'm a um, Leslie McDevitt. I'm a control unleashed um, yeah, instructor. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, so I use a lot of the methods and I come from agility and obedience background. So I have a lot of impulse control training kind of. So I do my own little workshops, but um, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, unfortunately, um, choke collars and e-collars and everything, they're not banned here. So um, yeah. most of the training around not chasing livestock and wildlife um, is still um, mainly followed up by people that use adversives. Um, so I had a lot of welcome from um, professionals, but dog owners are still not, they, they still need winning over that you yeah. can do it in a positive way. I have, a, I had a few, but it wasn't, it wasn't a massive follow up. So I think it's needed, you know, and, and someone like you that has some books that, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and that have done it as, as a niche for a long time, I think, I think will be good too, yeah. to have you around and, and try to change the way people um, see, you know, it, it's possible to do it in a positive way, always making sure that no animals is in, in, in danger, as you said at the beginning, but it is possible because as I said in my podcast as well about dogs chasing livestock, your dog shouldn't be off lead anywhere near livestock anyway, okay. because it's low yeah. in the UK. It's an offense to let a dog um, disturb um, um, livestock anyway, um, but it is possible to do it in a positive way and yeah we need we need more of it we need we need telling people more that yeah. you can become a team with your dog and you don't have to be the one always telling off and always stopping and always you know preventing them from being dogs <laughs> exactly yeah yeah and i i you said that uh, dog owners need a lot of winning over but to be honest i think that there are more and more people who are cautious about um, training methods they know they reflect on what they are doing with their dogs and in Germany it's not that we don't have uh, balanced trainers or aversive uh, using trainers um, we have them as well just not with the shock and the prong collars at least not officially <laughs> um, but uh, there are people who come to my classes and they say no this is not the way I want to be with my dog and live with my dog so yeah we make the choice and I think these are the people we need to work with yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. I'm going to put all the links, um, how, how to find you and how to get in touch with you, your Facebook, your, your, um, on the show notes so that people can, can learn more. And thank you very much for being here today and sharing, um, your amazing knowledge. Thank you very much, Martina. This was really, really nice. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. You're very welcome. Talk to you soon. Talk to Bye. you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Border Collie Geek podcast. If you want to know more about my work and how I can help you with your Border Collie, visit www.datildoacademy.com or follow me on Facebook and Instagram.